morning, everybody. Welcome to Every Nation. So glad you're here this morning. Uh, the sermon's a little bittersweet, actually, because this is the last sermon we're preaching here in the garage. And so it's the final time that I get to preach to a bunch of bikes and a drill press back there. And uh, oh, we'll miss that. It's fun. I, uh, you know, it's a great audience. I won't miss the flies, though, that sometimes interrupt our meetings and our sermons. But uh, we've got a space that um, has opened up at Sherbrooke. Uh, Mennonite just down the street and they have some classrooms in the basement that they're not using so we're going to move the studio into there and it's just bigger and easier to use so but it's a little you know it's a little sad to not be I think it's been what six months now of uh of being in here and doing stuff so the garage has been good to us but alas we're on to bigger and better things so we are uh, almost done here in our Roman series uh where we're looking exclusively at Romans 12 and 13 and I like the way Paul said it last week. Romans 12 and 13 are kind of like this big therefore uh, after chapters 1 through 11 are a beautiful explanation of what the gospel is and how it works. Uh, It's uh, Romans 12 and 13 go, therefore, this is what normal Christian living looks like. So we're walking this through slowly, kind of line by line and saying, okay, what what are the implications of the gospel really transforming our heart? And I've really enjoyed it. It's been fun to go through things so slowly and uh, it's been fruitful for me. And this week, uh, we're looking at Romans 13, 8, and 9, and I've entitled this sermon, Operating Relationally. And so this is the love your neighbor as yourself verse. It's in a bunch of places in the Bible, but here again. And uh, uh, I've entitled the sermon, Operating Relationally, meaning um, how do we have a motivation that thinks about relationships as the economy of uh, how life works? Love your neighbor as yourself is a deeply relational motivation. It's, it's, it's summed up as the second most important commandment uh, next to loving God is loving your neighbor as yourself. And it seems as though the economy of God deeply cares about love, which just sounds like obvious, but by extension deeply cares about relationships. You can't have love without two entities uh, or more than two. And uh, so something about this verse and this chunk, this, this passage of scripture is going to teach us what it means to think through that lens uh, in every way. And how would we ever love others as much as ourselves? And from what place, uh, from what place are we living out of for that even to be possible? So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to read the passage of scripture, and then we'll go through it slowly and draw some conclusions. So um, this is Romans 13, verses 8 and 9. You can follow along in your Bibles. I'm using the NIV, and it'll also be here next to me. Uh, okay, Romans 13, 8 and 9. Let no debt remain outstanding, except the continued debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Lord, thank you for your word and for uh, just its brilliance. And thank you for your ability to communicate through it. And we ask that this morning would be no exception. And, uh, and you would speak uh, to each one of our hearts. Would you bring conviction? Would you bring love? Would you bring safety? Would you bring comfort? Uh, as we learn what it means to follow you and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, Lord, I pray that this would no longer be a cliche if it has been uh, for us. And that we truly understand what it means to have a heart motivation of love. Teach us by your spirit. Convict us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, we are going to go through this line by line again, and uh, I want to draw your attention to the first line here, and Paul starts this off in kind of a financial uh, way by saying, let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding. And he's referring here to, you know, good old-fashioned debts. It's not good to be in debt. Uh, it's, uh, if you have a debt, you should aim to pay it back. And what this conjures an image of, to me, is that... Uh, um, the idea here is to, paying a debt back is getting back to zero. 
his audience would have understood this. You and I understand this. That uh, if you know what it's like to be in debt, zero is a beautiful number. <laughs> Seeing zero in your bank account isn't great unless you know what it's like to be in debt. And then all of a sudden, zero is just beautiful. And uh, you, I think we can all understand that. And the idea of paying back your debts is this sort of this idea of getting back to zero. Uh, to, to, be, to be at peace and to be square. But then things get really interesting here immediately. And he goes, except, except the continuing debt to love one another. So what does it mean to have a continuing debt to love one another? Now, continuing debt, um, it implies that we could never pay, we could never get back to zero uh, with the goal of loving one another. There's no zero to arrive at. It's the wrong way to think about loving one another. It's different than financial debt. It's a different kind of economy. And, and, and it's bizarre because it's not one, it's so different that there's no such thing as zero. It's a continuing debt. Debt's such a funny word to use when you think about love, right? Like what, is it, what does it mean to be continually in debt uh, to love those around me, meaning you're never finished doing that. There's no way to be square <laughs> in that. Have you ever thought about this? Like, have you, have you ever read Romans 13 and, and gone, hold on, continuing debt? What do you mean continuing debt? I don't have any debts. I'm free in Christ. What, what do you mean I have a continuing debt? Things kind of get even more funny as we keep going on. Uh, except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. So notice here that we've got, we've got continuing and we've got fulfilled. And it's kind of, which is it? Which is it? Uh, do I have to keep loving uh, to fulfill the law? Or am I ever finished with this? Or how do I, how, how does this work? What do you mean I'm never, what do you mean I'm never finished? What do you mean I can never arrive at this? So it's something about our motivation of love to love others that fulfills the law. Now, how then do we reconcile these things? How do we wrestle with this idea of never being, never finishing loving and having a continuing debt to do so with the idea that we're free and saved and can't earn our salvation? And uh, there's something about this debt that has nothing to do with your that has nothing to do with your standing of salvation. It's it must be something deeper than that. It must be something different. So what Paul is trying to do here is give a contrast between two different economies entirely. In the one hand, he's painting an, he's using finance uh, to paint a picture of what we would all understand to be the economy of this world, where you know the idea is to get back to zero in contrast with this economy of love and relationship. And, uh, and he's drawing a comparison between those two things. And, and he's using a very interesting tool called, you can never, like the way that we treat money and the way that we treat how, you know, operating this world works is totally different than the way that we operate in our love for one another. We're, it's totally different. So I wanna just take a second to explain what these two economies would be in detail. And it's language that we've used in our church a lot. And so um, maybe this will be a refresher for you, but I, I found it helpful just to kind of stop here and go, okay, what are the two kingdoms again? What are these two kingdoms? The first one 
is the kingdom of sin and self. Uh, the kingdom of sin and self is uh, not relational. It is selfish. It would be, uh, it would be um, the opposite of operating relationally. It would be operating selfishly. Uh, for those of you who um, you know have ever studied economics, there's this uh, principle of uh, a zero-sum game. And uh, just quickly, the idea of a zero-sum game is that uh, uh, you can only win what somebody else has lost. So in poker, all the if you win a hand, all the chips you get were someone else's chips. You're not generating any wealth. Any none of you are generating wealth. You're just trading uh, what already exists on the table. And if my slice of pie is bigger, it means your slice of pie is smaller. <laughs> it's what's called a zero-sum game. And uh, in lots of ways, it's kind of how this world works, uh, is that there's only so much to go around, and we can never really get beyond zero. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, we are dead in our sin, and we can't, through our own selfishness and our own selfish means, get beyond zero. Uh, let me read Ephesians 2 because it sums it up quite well. We're going to use Ephesians 2 here uh, for both of these kingdoms because it sums it up nicely. As for you, you were dead. So another way, another way to say that would be zero. Uh, in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cra cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So this is a description of the kingdom of sin itself. And um, you get the idea here that the world in its selfishness is clamoring over one another, hurting one another, uh, uh, doing here what it says, uh, gratifying the, the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts, um, all the while never being able to get beyond zero because we're dead in our transgressions. And the economy of sin and selfishness the economy of just trying to do things by our own effort is a, is a, is a zero-sum game. There's no way to get beyond zero. Something needs to be introduced into that system. So this is where the other kingdom comes in, and it's a kingdom of love, and it's entirely different. It's the one that God's in charge of, and uh, his rules apply in this, and he governs this one. And Ephesians goes on right away here and explains what that is with a but. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, I love the word rich here, kind of playing on the financial thing, who is rich in mercy, uh, not, not rich in, not rich in, in, um, in, in finances, not using that metaphor anymore, he's rich in mercy, and that's going to be really important. He's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that... Uh, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So here we have this beautiful picture of God. Uh, uh, it uses the word, his, his, his incomparable riches of grace and mercy are introduced into this kingdom of sin and selfishness and completely changes it upside down. It not only removes the, the, the first economy of people clamoring over each other to get back to zero, uh, 
it changes the entire dynamic going, it's no longer about um, getting what you can out of this life. It's no longer about self. It's about mercy and love and relationship. This is where we're going now. This is what we're doing. This is what my whole kingdom is about. That's what God's saying here. So this introduction of radical uh, mercy from God flips the whole system upside down. And this is what Paul is trying to get at here. He's going, okay, uh, what happens when, uh, what would happen to people like you and me if we fully understood the incomparable riches of God's grace and mercy? What would the implications of that be if we truly grasped how different the economy of God is, how different the economy of love and the kingdom of God is just gets completely backwards? What would that do to you and I? How would that change our hearts if we understood the riches of that? And if we stop trying to get back to zero. So back to this continuing debt idea. Why would Paul say that we have a continuing debt? Why would Paul say that we have a continuing debt to love one another inside this kingdom of God? This kingdom of God that is so rich in mercy and in grace. Inside that kingdom, we have a a continuing debt to love one another. How does this work? I'm reminded of just a... A simple thing that my dad used to say to me all the time when I was a kid, and it drove me nuts. <laughs> and, uh, but I'm beginning to understand what he was talking about. And whenever I would help him with anything, um, be it a chore or fixing something or just doing any old task that he needed help with, say it was a work Saturday of some kind, he would always say, come back and ask me if there's anything else you can do. Because I would often, I would often do this thing where you like complete that one task you could think of in the moment, do it, and then go back to your room to do whatever else you wanted to do. And then if he came back saying, I need something else, you just got to play dumb and dumbfounded. Like, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. I forgot, I didn't, I thought I was done. Like I thought I was finished helping you. Of course, in my heart, the whole time I'm doing that one task, I'm thinking, oh, I'd love to get back to my room and my video games or whatever else I wanted to do as a kid. And um, that's what I'm thinking about the whole time. I'm not really thinking about him. I'm thinking about how to do as little as possible to get back to whatever I wanted to do. And he would say, just come back and ask me if there's anything else you can do. And I, I hated that because every time I did, there was always something else to do. He was very good at thinking of new things for me to help with every time I'd go back. And that's uh, why I, I, I rarely did. And I, I, you know, you could probably picture me, you know, and in the, in the, it's, it's kind of genius, right? Because when he comes looking for me again to help him with the next thing, it's a beautiful excuse to go, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize there was something else, you know, my bad. And you're kind of, you escape, you escape judgment in that moment because how would I know? Uh, but all the while missing a deeper point being if you loved me and if you understood what was going on here and if you really felt the, an ownership in this family, uh, what else can I do would be on the tip of your tongue. And it would be the most natural thing for you to go, is there anything else? Is there anything else? But that is there anything else mindset. Uh, like truly, is there anything else I can do? Uh, that is unbelievable evidence of something that would have been going on in my heart that would have been very, very deep and very meaningful and very valuable. Now, most teenagers, most teenagers, I don't think ever realize what's going on while they're still under their parents' leadership in their home. And it's mostly just dragging, it's like, 
ask me if there's anything else you can do because I know you won't do it. Like, I know you're not gonna understand this, but like thinking back now, I'm going, oh, uh, he wanted me to understand or, and give me a way to love him. And it was the most loving thing that I could possibly do is go, is there anything else I can do, you know, through the gritting of your teeth. And in that moment, you know, I remember, I remember the times when I actually managed to do that and his face goes, yeah, there is, but not, I'm so glad I don't have to do this next chore. It's like, I'm so glad you understand what's going on here. Like this home is yours, this house is yours. We have the same last name. Uh, you're doing this because you love this family like unbelievable discipleship and parenting. And I wish I would have understood earlier. Uh, so the question that we have to ask ourselves with wrestling with this term continuing debt is, do you have a desire in your heart to be finished loving people? Like, is there is there a bedroom to get back to? to are there some video games to get back to? Or... Is there something in your heart going, is there anything else I can do? Now, do you see how no matter how many chores I would have done, it wouldn't have affected my standing as a son? Do you see how no matter how many chores I completed that Saturday, and no matter how good my heart is, it wouldn't have affected my standing with my dad or how much he loved me? But it's a sign of something really, it would have been, <laughs> it would have been a sign of something really beautiful in my heart, that I understand that I have a continuing debt to this family for the unbelievable, unmerited mercy and grace that I've been shown. Now, in this world, it'd just be like having a family to belong to, being, you know, given birth to. I mean, that's, I feel like I have a continuing debt to my parents in some way. Uh, how much more for God, having saved us from being dead in our sin and transgressions, Maybe you remember um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, what we started off the series with. And uh, I started off this series talking about, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And if you remember back to the first week of the This Is Normal series, the idea was that we would only ever offer our bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and pleasing to God in view of his mercy. In, in, not even just in view, like captured by it, overwhelmed by what he's done and made a way for. Uh, viewing his work and his personhood and what he's accomplished for you and I as, what does Ephesians 2 say? Incomparable riches of grace. Uh, not from ourselves, completely from him. In view of that mercy, would we offer ourselves as a sacrifice holy and pleasing to God? Uh, so the question, or, 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 the, or the thing that maybe the title of the sermon is Operating Relationally. Uh, do you feel as though relationships are something that you can complete? Do you feel like they're a box you can tick? I don't think relationships are ever a destination that we can arrive at. And why would we? If we thought we could if we thought we could arrive at relationships and go, what are the seven things I need to do for you to love me? Or what are the seven things I need to do uh, to get you off my back and to complete a task? And I feel like God would come to us and say, uh, if you understood 
how loved you were. And if you understood the incomparable riches of my grace, you would never want to be done loving me or loving anyone else. It wouldn't cross your mind. Uh, so do you want to be done? Do you want to be finished? Do you wonder what the chores are? Or do you come back to the Father and go, Lord, is there anything else I can do? Is there anything else I can do? Now, Ephesians in this verse is very clear. It's not about earning anything. It's about living in response to radical generosity and mercy. Uh, it is the only logical response to the radical generosity and mercy that you and I have been shown. And it fulfills the whole law, right? It says, it says, uh, fulfills the law. What's the point of the law? The law was to unite God and man. It was, it was a standard of righteousness that God had to help the, the Israelites, you know, get close to him. They couldn't get close to him without the law. And so love, loving one another fulfills the law because a heart that is motivated by love and understands the depths of God's mercy and how transformative that is and knows him personally is, uh, is driven by the most pure uh, of motivations. And when we're driven by the purest of motivations going, I have been extended so much mercy that I can't help but be merciful and love others. That is the fulfillment of the law because the only way that that would ever be true in your heart is if there's an intimacy with God and an understanding of who he is and a closeness and not even just an understanding, but a deep conviction, a conviction of how dead we were in our transgressions and how, how impossible it would have been to clamor past that unless he intervened and unless he loved you and I so radically with the cross. If we know that we, and we love others out of that place, that is the fulfillment of the law because God just longs to be close to you and I. So, um, when, I, when, I, when I see the mercy that I've been shown, and I've been shown a lot of mercy, um, my heart leaps for joy at the, um, at the potential of being able to extend that same mercy to those around me. And as we do, we advance a kingdom of love that's completely upside down. And we no longer are playing a zero-sum game. We are. We are receiving and giving away this outside influence of incomparable mercy. And it changes, it takes the whole thing from trying to get back to zero and, and going, no, 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 we're building something totally new and we're advancing a kingdom of love. We could never get beyond it. We could never get beyond it if we tried. We're too dead. So, uh, um, I think this is in Romans 12 where it says, you know, offer your bodies as living sacrifice in view of God's mercy. Is We worship God by living in his economy. And we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because it has this, it has this, it has this disposition of going, I'm never done. I'm never done loving others. I can't be. I've been shown such radical love, and it's it's overflows in my heart. How could I ever be done? How could I ever be done showing others what I've been shown? Because I feel like God looks at you and I and goes, I'm never done. I'm never done loving you. 
My mercies are new every morning. My mercy for you is infinite today and then it's infinite tomorrow again. We will never understand the depths of God's love. We will never understand it. And the more we give it away, we taste of it more and more. It's amazing. So uh, let's keep reading here. Um, uh, I want to say one more thing. It says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. (sighs) So, this is a summation of all the laws, but it's also different. And then it says, as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, Not committing adultery, not murdering, not stealing, not coveting are all great ideas. And it's summed up, but actually taken to a really deep extreme of going, okay, you could go do all those things. You could not murder someone and not steal and not commit adultery and not lie. Uh, and those would be good things. But to love, but to, but to follow those commands uh, out of a heart of love, out of a place of continued debt, because of the mercy that you've seen, in view of God's mercy, out of that continued debt. To follow those commands out of a continued debt to love one another is more extreme than just following the commandments. It's not only doing the right things, it's doing them out of love. And it's summed up, uh, it's summed up and, 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 uh, and fulfilled. Because the point of those laws, the point of the Ten Commandments or whatever other commandment was given in Leviticus, uh, it was to help God's people be like him. <laughs> and he is love. So, love your neighbor as yourself is in a very extreme. And here's, here's why it's so extreme. is because it takes so much humility to love someone else as much as yourself. Just so much. Uh, the most. It, all, of, all of it. All the humility to love someone as much as, your, to love someone as, much as yourself. Maybe, you, maybe you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't think very highly of myself and all those things. But uh, the Bible says that no one has to be taught. No, like, there's no one that hates his own body. And we are consumed in our sin and selfishness. And even, even self-hate is a form of self-love. It's an introspection. It's a, it's a refusal to look outside. And it's a very clever ploy of the enemy, I think, sometimes to have us hate ourselves. But, or whatever that means. But I think it's a twisted form of self-love that keeps us trapped from... Uh, loving others and being set free from our sin and selfishness and being set free from the kingdom of sin and self. And so loving your neighbor as yourself requires so much humility and it's so extreme. Um, And it costs a ton. In fact, I would say it costs everything. I would say humility costs you your entire self because it's love your neighbor as yourself not like yourself, not in the same way as yourself. Like, uh, in order to prioritize loving someone else as much as you, or more than you, it costs a lot. And uh, a story that I'd like to just remind us of is the story of this rich young ruler that I think exemplifies this really well. And so, uh, and this is Jesus talking. And I'll just read the story and then I'll draw a conclusion. It says, uh, as Jesus started on his way, Uh, A man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Okay, stop here for a second. Uh, Jesus already knows who this man is. And, uh, and he starts off by saying, good teacher. And Jesus immediately calls him on it and goes, you think I'm good, don't you? You think I'm good. You think that who I am is built on my righteousness. You think it's built on my, uh, my reputation or my track record and my ability to be good. So Jesus immediately calls him and goes, why do you call me good? Why? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Just kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing to say, seeing as how he was God. But the point remains is that he's already seeing through the rich young ruler's intentions where he's going, good teacher. And you can almost hear this saying, how do I be good like you? And Jesus' first question is, why are you asking me that? Why are you, are you Who are you thinking about? Are you thinking about following commandments? Or are you thinking about trying to be good? Or do you really want to know who I am? So let's read. Jesus continues and says, You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And you can kind of hear, these are kind of a similar list that we're seeing here in Romans of Paul saying, okay, these are all the commandments, right? And, and Jesus kind of stops and goes, these are the right things to do. Like, but whether they're motivated by a love for me is a different story. But I like how Jesus stops here and goes, why do you call me good? Uh, I'm going to play into this and go, okay, yeah, here's all the commandments. Here's all, and Jesus pauses and goes, here's all the commandments, pause. And you can almost hear the sigh of relief in the rich young ruler's voice. And he goes, teacher, he declared, <laughs> all these I have kept since I was a little boy. Okay, uh, you can hear his relief going, I get eternal life, amazing. Uh, I can't help but think, no, he didn't. <laughs> you really didn't lie? Really? This guy wasn't perfect. But he's tricked himself into thinking that he is. And he's deceiving himself. It's kind of a side point, but I don't, I don't like giving the rich young ruler the benefit of the doubt here. I don't think he was perfect. I think he was trying to ascend by his own strength to his own agenda of perfection and eternal life and other things that he'd want. It's probably what's going on. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say he kept all the commandments. Let's say he did. I haven't. Okay, so if I'm putting myself in the story, I have not. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus looked at him and loved him. And out of that love, out of that deep love for the rich young ruler, Jesus goes, one thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. Jesus offers himself as his solution. One thing you lack, uh, get rid of all the things that you think are going, get rid of all the things that belong in the kingdom of sin and selfishness. Now, this is not to say that in order to belong to the kingdom of heaven, we have to sell all our stuff. Jesus wasn't saying that specifically, but what he was saying is, what prevents you from being part of my kingdom? is a commitment to the world of sin and self. And for the rich young ruler, uh, it could be, could be extrapolated that Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to set you free from what you think is going on in this world. 
At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. So, uh, the tragedy of the rich young ruler story is he was looking for a way to be finished. He was looking for a way to be done with, with love and relationship. And Jesus says, that's not how my kingdom works. That's not how my economy works. Here's what you're going to do. I'm going to set you free from the kingdom of sin itself. Sell it all and come follow me and you'll have eternal life. That's the one thing you lack. He thought he was done, but he hadn't met Jesus yet. And so church, can I ask you, when you look at this word, continuing debt, does it scare you and go, I've got more to do? Oh no, I'm never going to be done. Why would you want to be? Why would you want to be finished? <laughs> Why would you want to be finished loving the people around you? Does it hurt too much, maybe? Does it cost too much? Does it inconvenience you? And we have to look at Jesus in this moment and go, Oh God, would you set me free from the kingdom of sin itself? Give me a view of your mercy and a view of your face where a continued debt to love those around me would be the most logical, life-giving thing that could possibly happen to me. Help me fulfill the law. Never let me be done loving people. So obviously the rich young ruler was asked to have a ton of humility in this moment. So much. Because he was going to be called to love his neighbor as himself. Not just follow the commandments. God summed it up for him. He said, oh yeah, you've done all those things. Let me sum it up for you. Do it for me. Do it out of a motivation of love. Do it out of view of my mercy. So church, I don't think the kind of humility that it takes to love our neighbor as ourselves is ever a, de a destination we think we can arrive at. Now, I'll be honest with you, I have, I have, uh, I have, I'm guilty of thinking that humility is a place that you can arrive. I don't think it ever can. Because I don't think relationship and love is a place you can ever arrive, and why would you want to? <laughs> there is so much to be discovered about the incomparable, infinite riches of God's mercy. I want my life, and I want our church, to be on the deepest, most radical, most tenacious quest for how far and how deep and how wide that thing goes. I want a continued debt to love those around me. I never want to be finished. I never want to... Be be finished exploring how powerful God's mercy is in my heart and how, how powerful it is moving through me to the world around me. How else are we going to advance the gospel? How else are we going to advance the kingdom? So Paul ends this by saying, love does no harm to a neighbor, for love is the fulfillment of the law. So I would ask you, uh, in which economy do you live? Do you live in the economy of trying to get back to zero, trying to arrive, trying to finish a race, trying, wondering what the next few things you have to do are to finally be at peace, or to finally feel like you've accomplished what God would have of you, wondering what the rules are and wondering what the next steps are so that you can escape all this pain and escape all this tension of trying to live a life of love? Or do you welcome this kingdom of love that implies that we're never finished loving the people around us because God has never finished loving us? 
He has no intention of stopping, of loving you and loving me. And praise God for that. Father, never finish with me. I pray you'd never finish loving me. Thank you for pouring out your heart so radically and your forgiveness so radically in my life. And Father, I pray that it would drive me into love for those around me. God, I pray that you would fulfill the law in my life by giving me a depth of understanding of your mercy that would compel me to live a life motivated by love. And Father, I ask for everybody listening right now that you would overwhelm them once again with how deep and how wide and how far and how incomparable your glorious riches are, how deep your love is. Father, help us love our neighbor as ourself. Would you give us humility? Father, you humbled yourself to the point of death on a cross. And you asked us to have the same mindset as in our relationships as you had. So Father, we come before you, we humble ourselves and say, Lord, is there anything else I can do? Not to earn your love, not to earn it. You've already done all that. But God, out of response to the mercy and grace you've shown me and you've shown us, what would you have me do? Father, never let me be finished experiencing your love and needing your love in the way that I live my life. And I ask you that by your power you would teach us how to be a community that is a taste of the kingdom of God. Oh, Father, would you give us the kind of humility that you had no matter what the cost. We can't earn it. We just can't. And we need you to humble us. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.